Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. All right. It is 9.30. It is 9.30. We sat down to start this about 8.15? I was going to say more like 8, but if you want to say 8.15, make yourself feel better, you can. Um, Yeah, I'm over this whole setup that I have going right now. (laughs) One small tiny thing changed. And the entire system decided to crap the bed. So I have been struggling for an hour as Megan and her entire family sit here and talk and watch and (laughs) make me look like I have no idea what I'm doing. So So that over there, for those of you guys who don't know, is Tyler. (laughs) A.K.A. A.K.A. Jackass? Okay. Okay. That's what I feel like right now. That is Tyler. I am Megan, and we are Whiskey and Wonder, a podcast where we review whiskey uh, every week and teach the other something that we have wondered about. Um, real quick, before we dive into anything else this week, I want to go ahead and preface this by saying that this is a very special episode. Um, there are some of you guys that are going to be listening specifically for the Wonder segment and nothing but the Wonder segment. Um, you do not have to like whiskey to like this podcast. And if it's something you don't want to hear about at all, I encourage you to jump forward to the wonder segment so that you can learn about, um, this amazing, um, Vietnam story that was recently declassified. This will be the first and the only place that you can learn, um, about this particular, uh, air force troop. So, uh, that being said, um, how are you doing, Tyler? Well, I think we should uh, introduce our guest first. Okay. So, if you look on, if you're on YouTube, you can see we have a guest in the studio. This is Megan's dad. It's Papa, Papa Cross. Cross. Hi, Dad Cross. Hello. We're glad to be here. We are so We're glad to have you. For sure. Um. So. Uh, you asked how my week's going, Megan, and I feel like the last hour has not been an accurate summary of my week. Um, it's been a pretty good week, frankly. Good. And we just we just came back from the race. I happened to get a have some friends that were unable to go to the race um, that Papa Cross attended the same race. So, uh, what did you think of it? Um, I thought it was a good race. Uh, I was really glad to be able to see the Roval. I've um, been here for the Coca-Cola 600, never been able to watch the Roval. And at this point, um, I want to come back and see the Roval again. It was really a fun race, a good race. Um, There was a lot of twists and turns that happened in the race that I wasn't expecting. Um, And I should say probably the, the best guy won. How's that? Uh, I would absolutely agree. I think uh, the class of the field today uh, was the 5 and the 24. Um, I hated to see what happened to the 24 there in the last laps, but, you know, that's... That's that's racing, baby. Yep, that's the way it goes sometimes. But overall, it was a great race. I was not a fan of the Roval when they first announced it and started it, but uh, it's grown on me. Yeah, when so. I would have to say when the first Roval... Um, I've seen it, of course, on TV. 
when it was first done, I thought it was going to be a terrible race to start with. I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, but then I really wound up enjoying it as it went on. Um, and at the end of the race, when everybody crashed into the wall at the uh, turn one, I kind of decided that this was going to be a fun race to watch. Yeah, uh, I agree. Um, if you're on YouTube, you could see <laughs> Megan over there uh, pretend snoring about how bored she was of us talking about the race. So, Megan, Not, how was your week? Uh, we should probably uh, introduce the open segment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I don't have my uh, uh, I don't have my damn lights because it jacked the whole system up. The open segment. Uh, we don't hide any of our screw ups from you guys or nope. any, any of my screw ups at least. <laughs> yep. Welcome so. uh, to Whiskey and Wonder, where we've been doing this for over a year and still can't get it right. Yep. Right. <laughs> you know, we'll get there one day. Eventually. You guys are on the journey with us. You are. And the fact that a lot of you are still around and still growing, I am very impressed. We thank you a lot. <laughs> um, so those of you guys who are on YouTube saw that Tyler and I poured ourselves a drink already. Um, this is not a whiskey. This is actually a gift slash borrow gift from friend Dave, who we have talked a lot about on this podcast. Um, he got this rum called Secrets, and it's Secrets, like sea is in the ocean, and then Crits Distilling Company. It's out of Maryland, and he said it is the best rum he has ever had in his life, and he wanted Tyler and I to try it on the podcast. And so I figured, why not do it on a night where I knew I had a designated driver? And if I happened to get a little bit tipsy, it wouldn't be the end of the world. So I figured during the open segment, we would uh, have this rum and we'd talk a little bit before we move on to the whiskey. Yeah. So um, I've smelt it just to give a little bit of um, background on it it smells spiced it smells i don't know if it's a spiced rum or not it smells like it though it it, it is definitely a spiced rum smokiness to it but very sweet smelling as well yes and uh i you know i'll let you address this however you'd like to but we're not withholding uh our spirits no drink for you <laughs> i know i felt kind of left out <laughs> uh we if you would like some you are you're very welcome to it no, I really don't want any. Thank you. I do not choose not to drink, I, I um, but I can smell it, and it actually has a very interesting smell. Um, I would think it would taste similar to the smell, and it was probably a very good booze. Now, whether it burns on the way down or not, I don't know. Well, I just took my first sip. Have you sipped it? I have. What do you think it tastes like? Because I agree with what friend Dave told me it tasted like. But I want to get an opinion without hearing what I think it tastes like before I say what I think it tastes like. Because it definitely 100%. I get that. You, you think about I, it? I'm thinking. I can't put my finger on it. I've it's, it's something very familiar to me. Something Christmassy that is very familiar to me. Huh. Not Christmassy. Well, not normally Christmassy. I... I don't know what you're going for then, but it's something Christmassy. It's very cinnamony. Um, it's got it's got other flavors. I just can't put my finger on. What do you think it tastes like? Root beer. 
That is exactly it, and I can tell you why that didn't come to my head. Okay. I don't like root beer. <laughs> I have no. I haven't had root beer since I was a little kid. I used. To, I remember. I used to get the. Oh my god! The goddamn dogs. A year. Um. Uh. Um. Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody came up to my front porch at nine forty at night. Yes. Um, so my dog is going crazy. Um, the closest thing I remember is having, um, bottle caps, the chewable candy. Oh, Oh, I love those. I hated the goddamn root beer flavor. (laughs) You Oh, (laughs) that's what it makes me think of now that you've said it. Well, there you go. Um, well, friend Dave, I like it a lot. It's not bad. I just, I couldn't. Pinpoint the taste. I would I would drink this. By I all definitely means. want some of this in like ice cream or maybe to mix with like a Bailey's or something. Make a some sort of white Russian without vodka, maybe. I don't know. Um excuse me but, while I go handle my dog for a minute. You guys continue the conversation. Oh um well while Tyler is gone. Um I've had a really good time this week. Uh, my dad flew in on uh, Thursday, and I've been hanging out with him pretty much every day, um, except uh, Saturday afternoon and the afternoon today because he was doing NASCAR things, and I am not a NASCAR person. Uh, right. Welcome back, Tyler. However, I drove two and a half hours on Friday to go to Stewart, Virginia, so that I could take my dad to see the... Wood Brothers Racing Museum. Um, and that's some serious NASCAR history right there for somebody that doesn't like NASCAR. It, I did it all for my dad. The drive was beautiful, and my dad got to experience the museum. And I like, I walked around the museum, I saw everything, read everything I could read, and then I was like, I'm gonna go sit in the car. <laughs> I sat yeah. in the car for probably an hour and a half while he, you talked to Leonard Wood. Yeah, I've actually got another our second picture with Leonard Wood, um, and it was two and a half hours each way of the most twisty, turny road I think I've ever been on. I was seasick till I went to bed after that um, trip, but I had a wonderful time um, seeing the history, uh, and it goes back to almost the beginning of NASCAR. Uh, they weren't quite in the beginning, but um, it was a very interesting place. I highly recommend. Um, anybody go there, and I also recommend everybody become a Wood Brothers Wasting fan. Wasting. Wasting. A Wasting fan. You see where I get it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Well, I guess on that note, we're going to go ahead and move on. Uh, we're going to go ahead and check out what we're actually drinking today. Opening the bottle. So we didn't do any announcements and you know where you can find us on social media. All that stuff will be in the show notes uh, just to give a little extra time and because we're running late this evening. So without further ado, Megan, what are we drinking? Uh, We are drinking something actually very special today. Um, This is Stranahan's Sherry Cask Whiskey. Stranahan's is a company based out of Colorado. Uh, it is right there from my home state. This is something that uh, Papa Cross actually got for the uh, 
podcast on his way here. So um, I thought we would do something extra special and do this particular strand of hands today. Um, anyone from Colorado knows that Stranahan's is a major part of um, Denver history. Um, and this particular uh, whiskey is one of their newer models. Um, but let's first talk a little bit about Stranahan's. So <clears throat> when volunteer firefighter Jess Graber, or Graber, one of the two, responded to a neighborhood a neighbor's barn fire down the road he never imagined what would come of it the barn that Jess made an effort to save belonged to Woody Creek local George Stranahan a longtime brewery owner and whiskey connoisseur the two discovered a shared passion for the Colorado outdoors and a proper pour of fine whiskey from this relationship Stranahan's Colorado whiskey was born the two developed a recipe for a distinctively smooth and flavorful American single malt whiskey using their mountain surroundings to their advantage. All of their whiskey is crafted in small batches, and it all uses Rocky Mountain water, which is phenomenal. Stranahan Sherry Cask is our latest innovation and expression in single malt. We take our four-year-old Rocky Mountain single malt and then transfer it to 500-liter Oloroso sherry barrels to cask finish. Procured from the Andalusia region of southern Spain, these sherry barrels have been aging wine for over 40 years, leaving a depth of flavor soaked into the ancient oak staves. Our Oloroso sherry barrels are procured from the Andalusia region of southwestern Spain, known to many oniophiles as the Sherry Triangle and one of the world's most coveted wine, re wine regions. The barrels have aged sherry wine for over 40 years, leaving behind a depth of flavor soaked into the ancient oak staves. The resulting whiskey bursts with rich flavors, um... The use of sherry casks in cask finishing has been a popular practice throughout Europe for centuries, and Stranahan's sherry cask is an American approach to this tradition. Um, seems like Tyler's doing some more troubleshooting, so as he does that, um, this is a very pretty color. Um, it's a very, very deep uh, amber starting to cross over into like a brown. Um, definitely more the color of like a rum than what I typically expect of a whiskey. Um, I would even say this is kind of passing that amber territory um, and going a little bit heavier than that. Um, let's see. Um, I definitely immediately get some like chocolate notes when I uh, give it a shot and or give it a, a sniff. Um I'm trying to think if it was like maybe a milk chocolate more so than a dark chocolate. It almost reminds me of those um, candy cherries. Um, I forget what they're called that are really Cherry popular. cordials? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the brewery had a cherry cordial sour around Valentine's Day. Oh, that's right. Um, I do remember that. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at first is a cherry cordial. Um and yeah. then there's some oakiness there. Um, I can definitely 
Definitely smell um, those staves. What are you getting, Tyler? Ooh, that was some smoke there. Some a little bit of a little bit of burn um, smell. Some char. Uh, definitely. Uh, so I smelt it prior to our camera issues, which I don't even want to talk about. Literally, these things ran for two hours this morning and an hour prior to us hitting record. And it wasn't until we hit record that they started screwing up. So I really need to troubleshoot this uh, using record, apparently. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I definitely got the fruit. I wouldn't have picked cherry out, but I can definitely see it now that you've said it. I also got chocolate and a hint of oak. Um, really take a deep inhale for me like, and see if you get that char. Because it's, it's a serious like campfire... Colorado campfire. All I get is like burning my nose hairs. Okay. Well, I'm getting a very campfirey woody smell. So I'm not. I do okay. want to take a minute to address if you are on YouTube. We don't have uh, like a random stalker in the background there. <laughs> that is uh, Papa Cross's wife, Paula. She is here as well. We have run out of chairs. Um, and she's just kind of chillaxing back there. We have offered her a chair. She did not want one. We will offer her a chair again. She is leaving. Oh. Uh, we are supposed to be smelling overripe cherry, sweet apples, raisins, almonds, leather, and fresh cut hay. Okay. I mean, I, I can get that. I can get that. Mm. Oh, I don't know if I like Tyler's face. Oh, that scares me a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Um, well, upon first taste, ah, just remembering it from that one sip I had from like, you know, 10 whole seconds ago. Uh, very, very fruity, very cherry on the finish. And at first, it was very overwhelming. That's why I made the face. I just... I was overwhelmed by the amount of fruit there was. Definitely tons of cherry. Um, the cherry is definitely overpowering, but I am also, again, getting that smoky campfire um, taste. Um, I'm guessing it's probably leather, but I it really tastes to me like how a uh, campfire smells. Um, so that's what I'm going to go with. Um, I'm overpowered by the cherry. Uh, maybe, maybe there's a little bit of like oaky flavor to it, but truth be told, it just reminds me of cherry medicine. I disagree 100%. I get the cherry. I hate cherry medicine, like with an, an absolute passion. I can't, I can't do any type of like cherry cough syrup or, um, cough drops or cough something. drops or anything like cherry medicine I cannot do I'd get sick but this is not medicine-y cherry tasting to me at all this is more of like a um kind of like the cherry starburst or what I think of because they're the first cherry I can think of that doesn't have a medicine-y um like artificial candy taste and so I'm not I'm not getting medicine I'm getting more just mm, I taste just like a cherry cough drop or cherry cough medicine to me that's so weird i do not get that at all 
Um, so what are we supposed to smell here? Our taste? Yeah, I'm sorry. I actually taste. really like the sensation of it. Um, that's definitely lingering with that smokiness for me. Um, supposed to be tasting honey, Montmorency cherries. I don't know what a Montmorency cherry is, but that's what the cherry we're tasting. Black currant and fig. So yes, lots of fruit with a nutty brine and walnut characteristics. The finish is buttery caramel, whipped cream, brown sugar, and smoked cayenne. I would agree with that finish. Um, that's definitely what I'm getting. Um, only up up that smoked cayenne flavor, um, like to the number one spot. Um, but then I still, I am getting the whipped cream kind of dessert um, sensation there at the end. Okay, I can definitely get that smoked cayenne just from the burn that it has. It's a very, like, it, it It feels like, I don't, it doesn't feel like I'm being punched in the back of the throat, but it's like the burn just smashes into the back of my throat and then is gone. Yeah, it's not a lingering burn. No, it doesn't linger. So I can see that being the cayenne pepper for sure. Yeah. Um. All right, are you ready? We'll go ahead and move on. Yeah. Give uh, Papa Cross his his time. It's time for the wonder segment. All right. I've been looking forward to this as as I know Megan has as well, so Yeah. Well, with no further ado, <laughs> um this story um is a story about my stepdad. Um his name is Gerald Ager and um I met him when I was 16 years old and um I never really knew what he did when he was in the military, and he never talked about it. Um, and so when my mom passed away, in a bottom drawer when we were cleaning out stuff, there was medals and ribbons in there. And when he had his military uniform on, his dress blues, he was in the Air Force, he had two ribbons that he had, and that was it. And so... In my mind, I thought, how could this guy be a chief master sergeant and have no ribbons when my um, other father, my real father, had an entire chest full? And so it made me think that he was somewhat insignificant in the military. And at that time, he was um, dating my mom. And so, you know, right there, I, I had a probably... I don't know how to say it, but probably I was um, a little apprehensive about him being around. But anyway, as life would have it, <clears throat> excuse me, as life would have it, he um, served in the Air Force in Vietnam, and he didn't ever say anything about it any time, like when we saw the medals or any conversation, he would downplay it and change the subject. So... I found out from my little sister that he was in a special ops squadron in Vietnam, a special operations squadron. And so she found a little information out about it. And we found out that most of this information had been classified for 50 years. Uh, so it kind of made me think I wanted to know what it was. And I tried to ask him a couple of times. And each time he would say, Billy, nobody cares about it. It was a long time ago. It was nothing. So... 
before my mom passed away, they went to a couple of reunions with his squadron. And when my mom passed away, he quit going. So I decided that I wanted to take him um, and go see what this squadron is about. Well, as it turns out, he actually took me. Um, he drove both ways. And we got in the car, and I, I flew to Oklahoma City. He picked me up at the airport because he doesn't want to fly. And we got in the car, and we were headed towards St. Louis. I told him, I said he had nine hours um, to tell me what he did in Vietnam. And if I didn't hear anything or didn't wasn't um, satisfied with it, I was going to ask his guys when we got there. And so he said, Billy... Nobody wants to hear about this stuff. And I told him he needs to start singing like a canary. So he did. He started telling me about it. And lo and behold, when I got around his guys, the stories matched. And anyway, they didn't, they didn't really, um, they weren't that accepting at the start. I should say some of them weren't that accepting at the start. Um, all of my dad's good friends were very open um, to me being there, and we're very grateful that I brought Jerry there, because if I wouldn't have went, he wouldn't have gone. So anyway, this was August 5th through the 7th in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was the reunion of the 20th Helicopter Squadron, the 20th SOS, um, which would be Special Operations Squadron. Um, my dad worked for the um, Air America in Vietnam, which uh, I, I don't really know how much of this is classified to this day that I can't find out about. But I know there's things that the government doesn't want them to know because their whole story was these guys were not where they were. And so with that, I'm going to get started with this. Um, Chief, Chief Master Sergeant Jerry Ager, my stepdad from the time I was 16, served in the Marines from a young age. He started in 1954. Um, he actually lied about his age to get in, and his, his service was up in July of 1957. After completing his time, he returned to Detroit, his home. After a short time home, he couldn't find a job and realized that um, he needed to go back into the military. He didn't want to go into the Marines because he knew if he went into the Marines, um, the Vietnam conflict wasn't quite going, but it was the um, Korean conflict. And he knew if there's any conflict, the Marines are the first ones there and the first ones to get into the mud and the blood and the beer. So he enlisted into the Air Force in December of 1957. Like so many military personnel, he served our country and risked everything in important critical missions to protect our freedom and had never told me, his family, friends, or even my mom about his service. I had the opportunity to accompany him to the reunion of the squadron he served in during the Vietnam War, and that is the 20, Pony Express 20th Special Helicopter Operations. The 20th Special Helicopter Operations, or the SOS, actually had two different parts of it. One was Hueys, and if anybody does, you know, knows what the Huey is, whenever you see a Vietnam um, 
conflict cut from uh, any kind of combat. That's the helicopter that flew in. Jerry, he actually flew on the Savorsky CH-3. And um, that was the big, big helicopter. Um, he started out as a crew chief and trainer um, when he was uh, back home, I should say home, in the States. He actually trained people on how to be a chief. He was a chief flight engineer, and he trained them how to be flight engineers um, on the helicopter. So um, Jerry started serving as a crew chief flight engineer and completed his service as an NCOIC, which is non-commissioned officer in charge. Um, he oversaw standardization and evaluations. And this was in his time in Vietnam, which um, was 1965 through 1969. So starting out, he was a crew chief. He was in the back of the helicopter. Um, he went wherever the helicopter went. So they have been having these reunions since 2008. Um, and as I said, this is the one from August 5th through 7th of 2021. Um, we saw the sights of St. Louis, but spent most of the time reminiscing about the squadron's time together. Some were uncomfortable having anyone listen to the stories that had not lived the stories. I respected that, but I needed to be there to accompany Jerry so that he could participate. By the end of the week, everyone was welcoming and encouraging me to return with Jerry next year. I heard stories of heroic missions, bravery, and love of country that weekend. Some of the stories were classified until recently when the records were declassified due to the passage of 50 years. I feel so privileged to have had the time with so many great veterans sharing their lives. I want to take this time to share, share some of the stories um, to be told. So Jerry's training was in pilot rescue. And he was an instructor at Shepherd Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. Um, the Vietnam War had started when, you know, after he'd been into the military. I want to say that it was about five years or so before the war had started. Um, and being in this pilot rescue, their whole idea um, was if a plane was shot down, they had these funky-looking helicopters, and they would put off a big wash, and they would use the wash of the helicopter to blow the flames away from the pilot so they could evacuate him. Um, well, anyway, he was delayed in being sent to Vietnam because his brother was serving there. And at that time, the U.S. would not deploy two siblings at the same time to a conflict or war. Well, Jerry had an altercation with an officer at Shepard while supporting his direct reports, and the officer made sure Jerry was sent to Vietnam immediately when his brother returned to the U.S. So my, my stepdad, I love him more than um, I can even say, but he's the kind of guy that he will always defend the underdog. Um, and he, it's probably one of his best characters um, 
best part of his character to a fault even, right? He's always been after the underdog. I mean, his favorite football team is the Detroit Lions. Um, so <laughs> that kind of tells you right there, you know, he's always going for the underdog. So anyway, Jerry and some of his students, one of them was named Marty Martinelli. The other was Gene Stapleton. And there was another one named Louie. Um, Louis has passed away. I'll get to him later. Marty, Gene, and Jerry, they were quite tight, right? And these guys were chosen to be trained for the Pony Express. They just didn't know it yet. So their commander gave them an order. And it, uh, I guess in the military, you get a paper, and this is your orders, and you go do what it says. And in this order... It said they were to show up to this Air Force base in Washington State. So the four of them took a wild trip in Jerry's junky old Rambler. If anybody doesn't know what a Rambler is, it's an old American Motors automobile. Um, and it was to Washington State for the training. They didn't know it was really survival training. They were So it was survival training for the jungle. They had no clue um, what they were going to do. Nobody said anything to them about, hey, this is what you're going to do. They knew that they had been trained in pilot rescue. So in this survival training, they didn't say anything to him, but they took him and dropped him, dropped him three miles from the base and told him to make their way back to base. They had a shovel, a compass, and a water canteen, and that's what they had. So these guys were taking a leisurely walk through the forest back to base when they were captured. And they're looking at each other going, what in the hell is going on here? How, who are you that you're capturing us? Well, they were really rather mean to them. They had guns pointed at them. Then they stripped them of their clothing, put bags over their heads, and chained them together. Then they walked them to a prison several miles away. They interrogated and tortured them for three days. They used the torture, some of the torture that had been reported as being used at Guantanamo Bay and was found to be inhumane and no longer used. After three days, they were told they passed and that they had just what they had just experienced was survival training and preparation for their time in Vietnam. Um, I don't know if anybody has any questions, but I'll, I'll go into just a couple of things that I know they did. One of them was the water torture that um, was done in Guantanamo Bay, similarly. And um, another one was they tied them in different contorted positions to bamboo, and they put them in these little cages that they couldn't stand up in. And so basically, when they interrogated them, they were trying to get them to say name, rank, serial number, what they were doing and all this other stuff. And if they even winced in pain or they said anything, then they went and tortured them some more. Um, when they didn't say anything, they kind of lightened up. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, so I don't think they I don't know if they do this kind of thing now, but at that time they had no clue um, that they we're going to be in the situation they were in. I'd, I'm sure they do that sort of stuff today. I'd, I'm sure they won't admit to it, but I bet well, you it still happens. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And, and it may, I mean, because you'd want the guys that are doing the covert operations to to be strong enough yeah. to be not able to... Withstand that, yeah. yeah. Not, not right. to give up the secrets. Right. So they returned back to Shepard Air Force Base. And, you know, the guys were talking about my, my stepdad's junkie rambler. And they would laugh when they'd come to a hill, you know, should we get out, Jerry, and push this thing up? Anyway, so they had a great time. They saw sights. They got back. And when they got back, the commander called Jerry into um, his office and was threatening him with an Article 15. That's where you lose rank. You Generally, you get a um, small jail, sen- jail sentence. When you get done serving it, they generally throw you out of the service most of the time. And Jerry said, go ahead. I don't want to go to Vietnam. Kick me out. Um, well, the this officer had a better idea for him. And Jerry showed him his papers, his orders, and said, it says nowhere on here that I was to take a military airplane onto this trip. So we took our car. We had a good time. Well, anyway, this guy was, was pretty upset with him and said, okay, no, you're going. So they... Um, basically, um, put him on a airplane, and they were sent to Air, to Clark Air Force Base in the Phil- Philippines. And this one was for jung- jungle survival training. So when they arrived at Clark Air Force Base, they went out to the runway and were met with by some officers. And the officers at that point told them to give them their duffel bags, which was every all their possessions their wallets, their military identification, any pictures they had in anything that could identify them as an American airman. <coughs> Excuse me. They looked at each other and said, what the fuck is going on here? That's when they had their first clue that this could be a serious situation they were in. But then they convinced themselves that everybody did this when they went to Vietnam. So... um they were stuck into a six-by-six six army truck and taken out into the rainforest of, um, Thai, of the Philippines. And um, there, they were introduced to some Nigritos, which um, that is not a racist term. It's actually the tribe, from what I understand, of the people. <coughs> and they were the natives there that were dressed in loincloths, and at that time they still carried spears for hunting. Um, and so the leader takes them to the, with a group of their other warriors, and they go to a tree, and the leader takes a bamboo shoot he cuts out of the ground, he sharpens it up, and he drove it into the trunk of a water tree. He hung a bucket on the chute, and they walked away. The next morning, they went back. The water was full of fresh water. Their bucket was full of fresh water. <coughs> Excuse me. Then he killed a snake and taught them how to clean it and eat it. He gave them several more tools that they used for jungle survival. Then they were taken five miles into the jungle, released and told not to be found for three days. The Nigaritos were paid a five-pound bag of rice for every American that they found. This is the only story 
I've ever gotten from my grandfather about his time in Vietnam is this short snippet of survival training where he was in the Philippines and had to hide for three days. It's the only story I personally have ever heard. So hopefully he gave you the whole story because I love this one. I used to ask for it all the time. Okay. So then I do have a little more to it. So as Jerry and his troops were wandering around in the rain, they found a cave to hide into. So the four of them jumped in this cave and, and everybody's in jubilation that they found the cave. And they're like, we can hide in here. They'll never find us. Well, then Jerry realized they would be found in the cave by the people that knew the terrain of the area well. So Jerry said, the hell with you. Jerry said, let's go. They said, no, it's warm in here. We're out of the rain. Jerry said, um, he's leaving whether they go, they leave or not, but he's not going to get caught. He knew what happened the last time when they were in the States and got caught. And then these guys, he's going, these guys are the the native soldiers of, of this area, who knows what they'll do. So they all three or four of them left the security of the cave and they used a flashlight walking around. They found a bush. Or actually, it was Martinelli found this bush. He took the machete and chopped bush branches down and dug underneath the roots so that they all three of them could hide under this bush. As they're laying there hiding later in the day, a rat as big as a cat ran into the bush, discovered the intruders at his home, and after a lot of screaming, the rat ran scared. Shortly after that, some of the natives walked in front of the bush, whether they heard him or not, nobody really knows, and they were looking for him. They all kept quiet, but their hideaway kept them well hidden, and the natives kept searching, leaving them safely disguised. After three days in the jungle, the helicopter came and picked them up and returned them to the base. They had not been captured, so they passed the training, formed a brotherhood, and they were given a satchel with Cambodian money in it, Laotian money in it, and North Vietnamese money in it. And that was in case they got captured behind enemy lines, or not, excuse me, captured. They got shot down behind enemy lines or somehow separated from their squadron. They had this money if they could find um, friendly people. <clears throat> they had enough money that they would get them back to where they were going because the American government told them that if they were ever captured the American government would say they knew nothing about them. Yeah, you don't exist. We don't know yeah, you. Yeah, you don't exist. You're not there. We didn't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, th that to me was, was pretty earth-shattering to be sitting in this room with these guys and them talking about this and talking about how um, Jerry was the oldest one of the group. He was around 30. The rest of them were just kids straight out of school. Um, and they had no idea what real life was about, nonetheless, this war. So anyway, the Green Berets of the Army Special Forces are perhaps the best known of the U.S. military forces, followed by the Navy SEALs. But the Air Force was there at the beginning as well. Among the first special forces are what 
Today, the Air Force calls a 20th Special Operations Squadron, which was made up of the Green Hornets and the Pony Express. On October 8, 1965, the 20th Helicopter Squadron later redesigned the 20th Special Operations Squadron, or as they called it, the 20th SOS, was formed at Tan Sun Nut Air Base. They were outfitted with the Hueys. Um, the, they were the gunship-type um, helicopters that you see in all of the Vietnam clips. Jerry's squadron, or part of that squadron, they all had um, 14 Savorsky CH-3C helicopters. Um, the most famous helicopter is the Black Mariah, was the nickname they gave it. It was the only one they had that was black. The rest of them were all, <coughs> excuse me, camouflaged. The Black Mariah is on display at the Air Force Museum at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. The 20th Squadron's primary mission was considerable in scope to augment combat search rescue forces, perform casualty evacuations, support communication sites as well as airfield construction and the tactical air control system and transporting air liaison officers and engage in counterinsurgency. Sounds like a mouthful. Jerry and his brothers were assigned to the Pony Express and they were located at an Air America base in the train Thailand, right across the border from Laos. They were now in the Vietnam War, being directed by Air America, serving on covert missions and locations the U.S. government did not acknowledge. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm coughing. I really don't did know you what want, to do. You we have water, water got you, for got you. you. got you a glass of water right there. I'll take the hard stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, how are you feeling on this whiskey so far while he's getting a drink? I'm really enjoying it so far, though. I've been so into the story, I've not been drinking as much as yeah, I normally would. <laughs> same here. Um, and for everybody on YouTube that normally watches on YouTube, I'm... Uh, for Sorry. Whatever, for whatever reason, these cameras keep screwing up to the point where I don't even feel comfortable posting this video uh, to YouTube. So we may not even have a YouTube video this week. Well, we'll, we'll see we'll how, let you know. how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always been told I have a voice for radio. So you, you do have a fabulous voice. <laughs> I, I want you to know that. <laughs> oh man. Must okay, be how I'll pay I uh, you later. That's must be how I got it. Being told you have a face for radio. <laughs> That's true. Oh, that's very true. I do have a face for radio, but no, <laughs> whatever. So now I do have some stories that I gathered. Now, this is not all of the stories, but this is just some of the stories because these guys sat around um, and they basically had therapy sessions, um, even though at the time nobody really realized it, but they were just talking about their camaraderie and the different things that happened and the times they barely got out with their asses and that type of thing. Um, so basically what the, what the Pony Express would do is they would drop squads into North Vietnam and then rendezvous with them at a certain place and time. And, and they, they had these squadrons and they were made up of generally, usually, a Green Beret, and then they would have 
assorted numbers of different troops that are under them that they called the Gomers. And they were the Laotians, the South Vietnamese, some of the North Vietnamese, and the Cambodians that would fight um, for the American forces. And they knew the area, they knew the jungles, they knew how to survive in them, and they were just doing counterinsurgency. Now, part of what um, the Pony Express did was they supplied, there was 121 of these outposts, mainly in, I believe it was Cambodia, and this is where they would base their different missions out of. Um, They would show up in the morning, there'd be a status um, clipboard, it would tell the guys what helicopter they were on, basically what their mission was and where they were going, and it was all in code. And some days they did nothing more than bring water, bring fuel, bring food to these people. Every flight that was made out of these 14 helicopters, somebody would have to run to the mess hall and they would get a food kit, which is a sea ration kit. Back then, everything was in the can and listening to the guys joke about what was good and what was bad. And the stuff that was bad, they would throw in the campfire and then they would bet on how long it would take to explode. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds like a very fun pastime right and and then and the days they had down days they'd sit around in their underwear and t-shirts because it was the jungle no air conditioned back in the day and play cards so um it was really a uh a time that these guys were really tight close and they bonded well together and their friendship and their loyalty to each other has lasted to this to this day And there is some stories in here that I will get to, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So on the very first one that I'm going to say, um, they they were going to drop a squad into Vietnam. And actually not drop. They were trying to pick up a squad that was in North Vietnam. And the mission had tried twice to get the squadron out, but had experienced enemy fire and couldn't complete the pickup because these big helicopters would land and either the back door would open up and they would run in or the side door would open up and they'd run in. They also had a winch system that they could drop down, but that could only get two guys at a time. So every time they went in to pick these guys up, the enemy, the North Vietnamese, would be shooting at them and the squad was hiding and shooting back trying to stay hidden and shoot their way out of it so they could survive to get back to base. So Louis Martinelli was um, at the base the second time they tried to get him, and he decided that they had to come up with a plan to get these guys out. So him and Jerry were talking. He said, you know, there's a rope ladder in supply. We'll take that rope ladder roll it up, throw it in the helicopter, we'll get to where these guys are at, we'll push it out the side and let them scramble up the ladder. That way we don't have to land and we can get in and out and get these guys in and out. So um, as they were in the landing zone, the guys were approaching the helicopter taking enemy fire. So they kicked the rope ladder out, it rolled down, The Green Beret was the first one on it, and there was nine other gomers that hopped on the ladder. The enemy fire was so hot that the pilot had to leave the area with the men on the ladder. 
My stepdad, when they got to an area he thought was safe, he told the pilot, hey, go down, let these guys out, you know, get them in the helicopter. The pilot was like, no, the area's hot, and he kept going. Now, to get from Cambodia um, into Thailand, you had to go up to 10,000 feet. These Savorsky helicopters flew at 170 miles an hour. These guys were in the jungle, had been in the jungle for a week, were in just their light jungle clothes, and now they're hanging on a rope ladder doing 170 miles an hour, and the helicopter goes up to 10,000 feet. Jerry is like, he tells um, Marty, he said, if any of them guys falls off that ladder or gets shot, I'm going to shoot the pilot right where he sits. Well, luckily, they did that. They got up. The helicopter went towards NKP. When they when they arrived at Nakamon, I can't really say it, Nakam Phanam, it's a Vietnamese or whatever, air base, the men were jumping off a ladder. When the Green Beret hit the ground, he really sprawled out on his stomach, continually kissing the ground, grateful to be alive. <laughs> Jesus, that okay. I would have punched that pilot in the fucking face. Well, they were glad to be alive. They didn't know what was going on in the helicopter. They were on the ladder, and they knew that for three different attempts to get him out of there, they were almost killed. I hope Grandpa Jerry punched the pilot anyway. Well, he actually, they had some pretty strong words about the guy. Good. To be honest with you. Good. So, um... <clears throat> the Green Hornets, which were the other half of this squadron, they flew the Huey Copper helicopters and were based out of Tan Son Nut Air Base in South Vietnam. The Pony Express flew the CH-3E helicopter out of Yudorn, Thailand. They had a group of um, old World War II propeller fighters that provided cover for the CH-3s. The Hueys pretty much had their own cover. They had some that had rockets, some that had machine guns, Gatling guns. Um, so these, these um, propeller airplanes had to fly figure eights or ovals around the helicopters as the jets of the Vietnam War, the F-4 Phantoms, were entirely too fast. Um, they also were augmented with Puff the Magic Dragon gunships, and for anybody that doesn't know what a Puff the Magic Dragon was, it was a, a cargo airplane that they knocked, uh, I guess where the windows would have been that were covered up. They knocked them out, and they stuck Gatling guns out of them. And whenever they uh, encountered enemy insurgency, they couldn't clear out. These gunships would turn over on their side and fly in a circle around a certain area, shooting these Gatling guns out. And they would put a 50 caliber bullet every six inches in the jungle, and it would kill everything within a six-inch radius of where they were going. I mean, it was just a wall of bullets. So while the Pony Express was rescuing a downed pilot, their commander was in a helicopter. He was shot down, along with another Pony Express helicopter. It was three helicopters in this particular mission. One of the fighter pilots, a, Saudi, a Sandy, he was also shot down. So as they're trying to get this helicopter, or not this helicopter, this pilot, um, two helicopters, including the commander, had been shot down. 
And so uh, one of the other pilots who was in what they called a Sandy, he directed that last Pony Express helicopter to back off and they while they cleared the area. Another Sandy volunteered to go down and take fire from the jungle to allow the other pilots to see the source of the fire. Um, as the gun shot from the dark jungle, they could see the muzzle flashes. Once they found out where the, mu mum, the muzzle flashes were coming from, <clears throat> Puff the Magic Dragon sprayed the area with gunfire while the Sandys bombed. This allowed the last Pony Express helicopter, which was one of Jerry's brothers aboard, rescue the commander, the original down pilot, and both helicopter crews, creating a rather heavy load for the trip back. But this was just another assignment, but demonstrated the immense bravery that was a regular quality of the soldiers. I meant bravery. So anyway, these guys risked their lives to go help each other out as they're getting shot down. Nobody's running. And you have to remember that if these guys that got shot down, if they weren't rescued, they had to get their own selves out and if anything was ever said, the government would say it wasn't, we didn't do this. And it was all directed by Air America, which is kind of, to me, just kind of a weird situation. But I guess that's what war is all about. Yeah. <coughs> we didn't do it. They were there on their own. It wasn't us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that helps. Uh, you know, I guess if, if, if you were to be caught in that scenario, you know, deniability yeah it you know, makes it's, sense it's, for it's sure a, it's, it's a cover your ass moment yeah but you know none of these guys volunteered for this they were picked and they didn't even have a choice to back out uh when my my stepdad was threatened with an article 15 he was begging to be um yeah arrest me yeah. arrest me yeah just i don't want to go to vietnam and he had no clue what he was in for oh wow mm. okay so another story the Pony Express supplied 121 outposts with fuel, water, food, ammunition, and other supplies. Um, it, so, and it was also, you know, these guys were the, the crew chiefs, so they could figure out how much, how many troops with the weight, how much gear, how much anything they could put on this helicopter with its maximum lifting capacity. Well... It was calculated that at maximum, the helicopter could transport 15 55-gallon drums to the outposts. So as they were, and these outposts are on the top of the hills and mountains of jungles, of this jungle. And as they were landing at an outpost, the helicopter pilot was descending too fast and cloned the blades and lost lift. In other words, you know, the blades, instead of being flat, they coned, and he lost lift. Kind of like what happens to an umbrella in, in heavy wind. wind. Right, yeah. And, and so, at that, and remember, he's got 15 55-gallon drums, however much water that is. That's a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the helicopter landed on the side of the mountain. At that point, it flipped, and... It, the, the lids came off the barrels. The barrels are bouncing around. The two guys in the back of the helicopter damn near drowned with the water that was coming out of them barrels because it was dark. They couldn't see. They just knew they were underwater, and they're inside of the helicopter in a jungle. Nobody thought that one of the risks in Vietnam was 
death by drowning in fresh water. They eventually um, saw light and got themselves out of there, but they were laughing about how they couldn't believe that they were drowning in the back of a helicopter with, you know, these barrels on top of them and everything else. So, um, anyway, one of the other stories was during the reunion, we looked at many pictures and newspaper articles recalling their time in Vietnam. One picture showed Jerry and his buddies at a table playing cards. That's when they were in their underwear and T-shirts. Um, and according to him, they were always in their underwear and T-shirts if they weren't on a mission. And then they wore black um, flight suits, right? Um, so the danger, dangerous nature of the routine supply missions was remembered as they recalled a card-playing buddy that was in one of these pictures that was killed while resupplying one of the high outposts. And with a new pilot at the controls of the helicopter, he was descending too fast. And while slowing, down, slowing it down, the helicopter lost lift, crashed into the mountain, burst into flames, rolled down the hill. Both pilots and his buddy wound up perishing in that accident. Um, two of the crew members survived. The reflection caused Jerry and his brothers to go silent. I was grateful to have them in the room. I mean, because they're thinking back, you know, now here they are in their 80s and 70s. Um, and this is when they were 19, 18 years old, and one of their brothers didn't make it, you know, and here they are. So it was kind of a very sombering, <coughs> excuse me, very sombering moment for me. So another one, is that the blinds? Oh, well, you're on. Yeah, no, we're having issues with the cameras again. <laughs> okay. To combat successful, to in combat, successful military personnel need to be aware, flexible, and use their skills for problem solving. So several of the outposts that the Pony Express supplied had been experiencing bombings and machine gun fire from a Russian-made biplane. During one mission, an Air America Huey and a Pony Express CH-3E were on the same route when they encountered the Russian-made biplane. An Air America pilot used his M-16 to shoot and kill the crew of the biplane, and it went down. So here he is on his Huey with his M-16 because Air America didn't have gunships. They were, they were the ones who, who basically orchestrated everything. Um, and he took his M-16 and shot out the door and shot these two pilots in this biplane, and it went down. After an Air American Huey and Pony Express CH-3 with Jerry's brothers on it returned to the base, they told the commander about shooting the biplane. The commander wanted to recover the biplane to see, biplane to see what weapons were aboard. Having no idea how to recover the biplane, the Spony Express headed out and successfully slung the plane, hauled it back to base. Once it was there, it was discovered that the biplane um, had holes drilled out in the floor with tubes attached coming through these holes, 
and they would drive, drop live mortars into the tubes. When they came out the other side, they were actually armed at that point, and they'd come down and they'd hit the ground, and that's how they were bombing the outpost. And they were shooting from the side of this airplane with a Russian-made machine gun. The discovery explained the method of where this method of warfare and gave the US an additional war intelligence. So um, it's just going to show you that the North Vietnamese um, weren't necessarily a well-equipped army either. They're using a Russian-made biplane to bomb these bases, you know, these outposts. So, um, during a routine supply mission to an outpost behind enemy lines, it happened to be an F-4 fighter airplane. The jet was flying by, and the Pony Express happened to see the plane dip to the left. The right wing had been blown off. The plane was rolling over. The pilot ejected. As the pilot was parachuting down, the Pony Express helicopter was able to land and wait for the pilot to come to the ground. They brought the pilot back to Udorn Base, where the rescued pilot went to the base bar, or the NCO club, um, with the Pony Express guys that had saved him, and he instructed the bartender that any time the helicopter crew members ordered any drinks, they were on him. Um, he was so appreciative of the fact that he got shot down and they were right there and they were on the ground waiting for him before he ever got there. So um, another one, that another good story that I've got was um, danger never rested. Jerry was in his bunk at Udorn when he was awakened by bombings. He ran towards a bunker with a friend but quickly turned back when he saw others running from the bunker reporting a cobra was in the bunker. A what? A cobra snake. Co like a snake. Yeah, the cobra snake was in the bunker. So this is when they're getting attacked, they were supposed to run to the bunker. But there's a snake there. And there was a cobra, not just a snake, but a cobra. Oh, my God. And, of course, nobody had Nobody the, wants you know, to, go, to go with a cobra. Go with a cobra. Right. So... Um, and they were they had to find another shelter. So Jerry ran back to his bed and hid under it until the bombing stopped. Another one of Jerry's friends that was sitting at this table, he was in Saigon on leave to enjoy some rest, liquor, and hookers. And he was waiting at the bar for his, you know, they'd take um, cargo airplanes um, in and out of Udorn to go to Saigon for their little leave. So um, he was uh, sitting at this bar at the um, airport in Saigon when um, his buddy, he starts seeing explosions happening at the end of the runway and on the, in the jungle beyond the runway. And he's thinking, what the hell? And one of his buddies came running in and said they needed to get on the plane. They're going back to the base early due to an enemy attack. At that time, they didn't know what was happening, but it was the Tet Offensive. 
The North Vietnamese were putting a full-on press to end the war. All lives were important, and the efforts to rescue fighter pilots remained reminded the veterans of this corps. Oh, excuse me. I went on to the next one. So this the Tet Offensive, if you don't know what it was, <clears throat> that was where the North Vietnamese entirely did a major offensive against all the different fronts in this Vietnam War, and they were trying to push the Americans back and actually win the war. Um, it was, at first, it was a success, but then, of course, America rallied and beat them down. So... All lives were important, and the efforts to rescue a fighter pilot remained reminded the veterans of a core value. The Pony Express crew had a winch to lower to rescue a pilot and allow faster rescuer, faster rescue than landing. The door gunner was not able to keep the enemy back from chasing the pilot as he ran to the hook. One of the um, propeller fighters, a Sandy, was shooting over the helicopter and the pilot, but due to the proximity of the pilot to the enemy, they were ineffective. Success came when another Sandy came in from the side and launched napalm, an incendiary mixture of a gelling agent and a volatile petrochemical, usually gasoline, which burns at a temperature ranging from 1,470 degrees to 2,190 degrees Fahrenheit, ending the enemy threat, and the fighter pilot was rescued. The door gunner of that helicopter said when that um, napalm hit the jungle, the heat coming off of it um, made him feel like he was getting burned himself. So um, part of that was, you know, then they're seeing the fighters running with this maypalm stuck to them. And so they're like a torch running through the... Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they, you know, it was... And they, and what what really brought it home was these are real people that they're doing this to. So to kind of sum it up a little bit, um, I've got some other stories, but um, they're probably... Um, it's probably time to end this. So... <clears throat> what time are we at? Hour and 10. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's time. So after all these experiences, the men I was sharing the weekend with in St. Louis came home from the Vietnam War to a country, communities, and loved ones that were unsure how to greet them. Many times they did not feel appreciated nor respected. To aid in the healing of the cold welcome home, quilts were made for each veteran attending the weekend. Cards were written by family, friends, and strangers start stating feelings of gratitude, respect, and love for the men that have bravely served their country. The quilts and cards spread healing and surfaced emotions that had been buried deep. All the men were appreciative of the acts of kindness and began, began to feel the respect that they deserved. Um, and there was a couple of them that basically had to leave uh, the ceremony because they were being overcome um, and they didn't want to have people see um, the emotions that they were showing because they were afraid it would show weakness, right? That 
generation. Yeah. Very much. Men don't cry. Boys don't cry. Right. Uh, And so um, it was quite profound because these guys were now getting the ceremony and the welcome home that they deserved 50-something years ago. Yeah. So um, I said earlier I'd talk about Louie. I'm going to talk about him real quick before we go. One of Jerry's brothers, Louie, died a year ago. As I stated, Jerry never talked about his time in service until it was time to go to his reunion. And I learned that many military personnel are silent to their service, but it is an integral part of their lives. Louis had thrown away his medal, medals earned, and tried to silence any reminder of his time in Vietnam. On his deathbed, he realized that Vietnam was an important time in his life and his service was something to be proud of and remembered. He told his wife he wanted to be buried with his medals, full uniform, and with a military ceremony. She was unsure how to proceed since she did not know to how to fulfill his final wish. Another, another one of Jerry's brothers, Marty, went to work and was able to have Louis buried in his uniform with his medals and buried at Arlington National Cemetery. The brothers always watch out for each other and give each other the respect that the service respect their service deserved. So um, that's kind of the conclusion. Now, in this meeting, I did um, come across a poem that somebody had wrote. Basically, they said it was a song, but I don't know um, any music or any way to sing it. Um, but The poem goes like this. The Pony Express song. Got a need to know. I've got a story to tell. About the Pony Express and raising hell. Job about which little is known. We go where very few others have gone. Top secret. We don't wear buckskin or cowboy boots. Just black. That's the color of our flying suits. Job's no different than it was in the past. We still get people shooting our ass. Kind of hairy. Some people think it's all the mail we bring. Don't blame us if you don't get a thing. Our cargo's a different type. Seldom seen in broad daylight. Sneaky. We ride out into the early dawn and don't come back until the sun's gone. We've lots to do and little time to do it all without leaving a sign. Kalinda Stein. We've got a chopper that's big and black, been known to take some flack. The VC tried and the PI too. The Pony Express always come through. Black Mariah. Hobos ride shotgun and Zoros too. And once in a while, thuds come through. Nimrods and fireflies, they work our gigs. Use the douches, deuces to watch our for MIGs. Bandits, when the jollies are flat on their ass. That pretty much concludes um, what I have. Hopefully you guys have learned something from it and will 
think about this next time you see a military person. Um, it's really not somebody out there because they're gung-ho with their gun. A lot of them got drug into it without any choice. Wow. Um, I am definitely um, very overwhelmed and very speechless. I was not aware of anything um, like this happening, let alone uh, Grandpa Jerry being involved in such a special um, operation. Um, Growing up, because he never talked about it, I always just figured he was a, I, I don't know, just a, just a dummy in the Air Force is what I thought. Yeah, just a run-of-the-mill, like, yeah. Air Force men never, I didn't know he had a rank. I didn't know anything. I thought right. he was just just a grunt. I didn't know he was someone in charge of something so important. Like, that's... Yeah. So so another thing, in this, in this um, convention, there was guys that were walking up to him every day. Um saying, you know, I don't remember you, but you were the one who um, gave me my um, uh, flying uh, evaluation. You passed me. And Jerry would shake his hand and say it was his pleasure. And there were several of them. He would go, you know, I must be getting old. I don't remember this guy. But, you know, we're talking 50-something years ago as well. Yeah. You know, you just yeah. don't look the same as, 50, you know, you did mm-hmm. 50 years earlier. Yeah. But that's because when he started out, he was one of the guys on the front lines dropping these troops. And since he was, um, in most cases, 10, 12 years older than most of these guys, he was the one they looked up to for, yeah. you know, because he's more of an adult than these kids were. Um, he was also a veteran of the military, so he knew a lot. Um, they worked for him and worked with him, and he was a staunch supporter. And then he became their boss, and he was the one that scheduled everybody. He did the procedures, you know, because you don't want him just to go out there cowboying it up and get shot. And so he did all this organization and training of these guys, Um which makes him one of the older guys that are still there. Now, there are some pilots that are older, uh, but most of the crew in the back were not that old. It was, um, you know, the the younger kids that weren't really as skilled um, that got stuck into positions like this because the helicopter pilots were more skilled. And they took the beginning pilots, the beginner pilots, and this is where they cut their teeth um, as opposed to, you know, putting them out um, elsewhere. Or maybe they were even the people that were flunking out. They're like, hey, I got a mission for you. And so everybody kind of learned under fire. And um, it was just amazing how now that they're old men, how they come together, and it, it was like yesterday. Did they tell you why they were called the Pony Express? Did they get into that at all? Um, because they were the ones that hauled everything, okay? The um, green dragons, what was it called now? I forget now. The green, um, ah, geez, I am so sorry. Um, Makes you fit in, makes you one of us. Yeah, (laughs) for real. Right. Um, 
While you're looking for that, I'm going to take this time to say right on cue as the cameras screw up again. I don't think we're going to have a YouTube video today, guys. I'm, I'm so sorry about that. These GoPros keep switching from video mode to photo mode and taking 30 photographs in the span of a couple seconds, which is why you hear the bajillion beeps. I have no idea. I Googled it while we were in this, and I apologize. I did not give you my undivided attention because of that, but I have every intention of going back and re-listening to this podcast to catch what I missed. But for those reasons, I'm the audio has not been syncing up. It the, the system is terrible, so I don't think we're going to have a YouTube video today. Understandable. Getting the, the word out there is the most important. The yeah. video isn't isn't nearly as important. So that's what was not the, the green end of the world. What? The Green Hornets. The Green Hornets. Yeah. They were the gunships and the Pony Express was the ones that hauled the supplies and the troops. Um and and they started out as two squadrons. Shortly after some of the guys that were at this reunion were um there after Jerry in nineteen seventy they disbanded the squadron and they got absorbed into the army. So now the Air Force doesn't have a special operations. That's the Army and the Marines job. But at the beginning, the Air Force was very much an integral part of it. So. That is an incredible, incredible story. Yeah. Um, like I said, I have every intention of going back and listening to it in its entirety. Yes. You know, so I can get the the bits I missed while I was dealing with yeah. technology. Yeah. Um yeah, you said his uh squadron was called the Gomers? No, the troops, the Laotians, the South Vietnamese, and the Cambodians and the North Vietnamese were called the Gomers. Okay. Okay. Um the and I don't know why they called them the Gomers, but they're uh a mascot was a little looks like a fuzzball with fangs. Um, it's adorable. I will put it as well as a few other pictures on uh, our social media. Um, it might not be exactly when this drops. I'm going to have to get the uh, pictures sent over from um, my dad, but I will post a picture of this little mascot um, and some of the helicopters and stuff. But I am, a, I am in love with this, this mascot. Well, um, on that note, you can find some information out if you Google the 20th SOS um, and the Gomers that you'll get that um, picture that I have on this paper off the Internet. Um, that's one of the things that survived, and they don't really know who drew it, but it was one of the guys in that squadron. Um, they started it in 65, um, basically, when they started in 65, the first group of guys that were over there, they built the base. And then Jerry's squadron came in, and they weren't the builders as much as they were the doers. Um, and then Jerry stayed through 1969. Shortly after he left, they disbanded and absorbed it into the Army. And at that point, the government did pull them back. I, I don't know from that point on how many missions were given, and I don't know the ins and outs of that, 
because our government swore up and down we weren't in there and when in fact the CIA was definitely in there doing this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Ain't that something? So would he call his his squadron then the Pony Express? Yes. Okay. He's so the Pony Express. He's the Pony Express. And they would pick up the gummers. Yes. And they would take them to their mission on a predetermined time and date. They would go back and get them. And so it was up to their squads that they were taking out there to go do their mission mm-hmm. and get back by this certain time. Because, again, if they weren't back, then they're on their own. Now, um, I can say that they would go back and look and try again. several times. They wouldn't just forget their people um, because, you know, they were, they were all in it together. Um, so yeah, they would they would go back, and they told me many times they have to go back and back, you know, because the, back then everybody had a cell phone like they have now, or the communications weren't as good. It was a hey, we'll be back here on this day, and if the enemy fire was too hot as they came in, they would couldn't land. They'd have to come back, you know, and then the fighters, of course, would come in um, and try to lessen the threat. But you also had to be careful for the squad because. You know, you couldn't just clear the jungle because you might be taking your own guys out. Yeah. Wow. I, you, I never would have thought like someone, someone has to drop off and pick back up the special, these units. Yeah, special operations. Huh? Yeah, someone has to get them there. Someone has to get them home. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. What an an incredible story. Um, thank you, uh, Dad, for sharing it. And um, man, I would I would love to go to one of those reunions and sit around and like listen to all these old guys talk about their experiences. That that is fascinating. That is amazing. Um, pretty profound. They're definitely heroes um, and yeah. heroes who weren't even acknowledged for it. Um, I know a lot of the soldier, soldiers coming back from Vietnam got, um, were really abused coming back um, from people who didn't want the war to happen. Um, and that that makes me really sad knowing that Grandpa Jerry didn't want to be there. He, he would rather have been arrested and court-martialed and dishonorably discharged than going to Vietnam. Yeah. And then yet he gave it his all, risked his life. Um, and he told me stories many times over over my history with him. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't wear our flak jackets. We'd sit on them. And I'd be like, why you sit on them? He goes, well, because the enemy's on the ground. They're shooting up. They're not beside you shooting at you. They're like, shooting up. I like that logic. I do, too. That's yeah. very smart. I mean, I get it. Yeah. And I just didn't know. And once I got there and the stories, well, it was actually on the way there when the stories started coming. And then when I got there with a group of guys, every time I'd hear a story, I would ask about it. And I'd run to the motel room and I'd type it up real quick and I'd go back and wait for another story. Um, And by the end of it, they were actually um, excited that I I had the interest to do this. And so they had me bring all my stories out. And most of my facts have been checked. Now I've tried to edit it 
for time. And, and so there's some facts that may not be exactly correct, but the gist of it is all correct. These are all stories that I got from the guys that were there um, who had no identification. All they had was different countries' money. Um, that's kind of scary when you think yeah. about, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, they handed them a little satchel-like big billfold or whatever with all these different countries' money um, to buy their way out. Yeah, good luck getting back. We're not going to yeah. help you. Get your ass back to Thailand. You're safe here, right, was pretty yeah. much what their motto was, and that's that was basically what they would have to do. Um, and so not all their brothers came back, um, and that, you know, that, uh, profoundly affected them. Um, their brothers that have passed away over the last few years, especially since this COVID had come out, um, they were all recognized in this one and they all had a very sad place in their heart because these guys couldn't get to the last reunion because of it. Um, so... Uh, it was a very profound, the very last day um, of this convention, I was kind of shell-shocked um, by the outpouring of support and the the realization that nobody had ever told them thank you for what they did until this ceremony. And... Um, it was it was overwhelming. I mean, I'm in tears, and guys would start to read these letters, and they put coolers together that had the IR Gomer emblem on it, and they had anywhere up to 25 different letters from people in cards. Um, some strangers, some family members, they found every family member they could find of these guys and had them write a thank you for your service. Um, and it was just, it was so emotional. It was amazing to me. Well, I, um, I'll speak for all of uh, Whiskey and Wonder and our listeners when I say we appreciate your service and we thank you, um, and all of our love and support goes out to the twentieth SOS Pony Express, um, Green Dragons, Green Dragons. Nope, Green Hornets. You're yeah. wrong. <laughs> Sorry, it's Green Hornets. And and not just, not even just to those guys, but to all the veterans out there. Yeah. Know, thank you for what you do. Definitely. Thank um, you. You're not in charge of the politics and everything that goes into war. Um, but you give but you more give, than any politician does. Exactly. Exactly. So thank you so much for what you do. I know... We have veterans that listen, um, and we're we have family members that are veterans, and um, it's it's a very special uh, thing to do. So thank you, and um, if you do need help, please don't hesitate to reach out and get help. There is help for anyone who is struggling with what they uh, suffered through in their service, um, and. There are people who want to help you. Papa Cross, thank you so much for coming all the way across the country. Yeah. Just to give us that story. It was it was an incredible story. It was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, 
on that note, we're going to go ahead and move on and wrap this up. We've been going on a little longer than normal now, so we're going to skip trivia with Tyler today, I think, and we'll just okay. go straight into final thoughts. Final thoughts. So I don't remember if you asked this while on air, pop across, or off air earlier, but you asked, excuse me, how we do the drop of water at the end, how much we put in there. Oh, that's this, this is what I do. It is literally a drop of well, water. I well, if Tyler can get it to come off his finger, which I can't. <laughs> there you go. I got a drop. So got a drop of water. It's literally a drop. Um, anyone who listens, it is literally a drop of water. Um, nothing more in it. Uh, it typically insanely changes the flavor. So um, Tyler and I just put a drop in our remaining whiskey um, to see what it does to it. Um, Tyler looks kind of in- interested, confused, worried, grossed oh. out. Oh, it increased the burn. Mm, I feel like it does that a lot when you add water. Yeah. I feel like that's happened well, a lot it, of the whiskeys. It, I feel like it's either one or the other. It completely dulls it down or it increases the burn. Maybe I'm just a wuss. I don't know. Increased the burn, made it linger longer. Yep. Um, And it took rid of some of the... Took, 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 took rid. away some of the fruit. It took away some of the fruit, made it more of that leather... And that yeah. leather and the oak is standing out a lot more than the fruitiness. I prefer, uh, well, so we're going to go ahead and jump into it here. I prefer the flavor with the water. I don't prefer the burn with the water. Um, I liked it both ways. I like it with the water and without. I could drink it either way. Um, this is something I will not mix. Um, this I want to drink it just as is, but I would like to try it with um, stones. I would like to try it with an ice ball. Um, I, I'd like to try this a few different ways. I definitely think I want to give it a shot chilled um, and see how that affects the flavor and everything. Um, so that's probably my next goal is going to be getting this cold. Um, but just as it is, room temperature, straight, um, I really liked it. Um, I actually really liked it. Um, it's not my usual flavor profile that I like. Um, it's, I'm typically more for like the sweet. Um, though some of my favorite flavors haven't had any sweet at all. So, I mean, I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, only 52 episodes in, we can't get the <laughs> technology right. and can't figure out what we're trying to say yet. I like the experience of this and it might be just nostalgia talking because I get so much like campfire um, taste and smell from it. Um, I got the perfect whiskey for you to taste campfire from. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm not even going to attempt to push any buttons. So we're just going to go with my voice today. Um, So I like the experience of it. I like the smoke, the flavor. Um, uh, cherry cordials are one of my dad's favorite uh, candies, and I um, tend to have a few cherry cordials around the holidays, um, even though I hate them because they make me think of my dad. <laughs> um, and so this is just a very 
a, a whiskey that's very special to my heart without me realizing it would be uh, between campfire memories and cherry cordials. So um, that alone is going to give it an eight and a half from me. I really have enjoyed it. Um, I want to drink more of it. Um, this will be one I, I probably pull out frequently. Well, we're not going to fight over who takes this one home. I did not like it. It was way too medicine-y for me. I didn't get medicine at all. You're so weird. I Even when I go to the QT and get the cherry flavoring from the fountain drink, uh-huh. it tastes like medicine to me. I That's what I associate cherry flavors with. I don't like the cherry starburst. I, I'm not a cherry fan. Cherry Jolly Rancher? No. I don't, I don't think they do a cherry. I think it's strawberry. I don't know. I'll have to check because ironically, and there goes the camera right on. Cue. Just who cares? Yep. Uh, ironically, I have a red Jolly Rancher that I took out of Shelby's Halloween candy pail the other oh. day at her house. You have to let and me in know. In the room, I ate the other three flavors and did not eat You'll have the to red let one. me know if it's cherry or strawberry. <laughs> yep. So depending upon what that is. Um, point being, though, I'm not a fan of a hefty burn, and I'm not a fan of cherry, and this has both. So <laughs> as Megan spills water all down her, for since there's no video, <laughs> uh, I'm going to rate this a solid three. Mm. Whoa. That is offensive, good sir. I don't get too extreme, and I... Mm. All right. Like I said, I flat out just didn't like it. Wow. All right. Fine, Tyler. Well, you can't have it. It's mine. All yours. You don't get a little special cup either. That's mine. Uh, Yours. Yep. Good. That's mine. I was going to say, at least give it a five. Right? Uh, Something. I I just can't. I can't. That was... A three. I'll put it this way. I had to muscle through the back half of that one. Wow. All right. Well, to each their own. Sometimes you and I are damn near identical in what we think, and sometimes we are... Yep. Totally opposite. So, all right. Well, keeps it fun, guys. I guess that's going to do it for this episode of Whiskey and Wonder. Um, Definitely. Um, we're sorry for the technical issues. Um, we're sorry that we didn't have uh, trivia with Tyler and all of our other segments, but um, this was a very special topic, something we definitely wanted to get out there. Um, and that being said, you know, uh, we will be back next week. Um, it's my turn to research, so I will have a new topic. I will also have sorted out all these electrical gremlins, um, even if that means going back to the old cameras. If that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. Um, so until then, I do want to say one thing about next one. One more thing about next week's episode. Um, we have an important announcement for next week's episode. Uh, so don't miss it. It is in regards to our end of year special episode this year. Yes. So more details coming on that episode mm-hmm. and, and what we're planning, uh, next week. So don't, don't forget to tune in next week. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for sticking around, for donating, for doing all the things. Visit us at whiskeyandwonder.com. Thank you guys. Have a good night. Don't drink and drive. Cheers.